Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 472. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 472 you're listening to. My guest today is my part two interview with Leslie Ann Jones. Leslie, of course, is a seven-time Grammy Award-winning recording and mixing engineer, record producer, and director of music recording and scoring at Skywalker Sound. And if you haven't heard part one, I encourage you to start there at episode number 471 before this to get the full picture. And uh, this takes place in Leslie's home at her dining room table, actually. We sat and had a great conversation. So we're going to continue that conversation here today in part two. Leslie Ann Jones coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about who you're spending your time with. Apologies up front. I've had a cough here for a little bit and I'm at the tail end of it. So still got a little bit of a nasal sound and gravel sound to my voice. So we'll press on. This is something I may have repeated in a past rant. And if I have, we're just going to go with it because I think it's a super important topic. And it's something that I actually mentioned as a sidebar to the rant in episode 471. So I'm going to dig into it a little bit more and I'll just get to the crux of it right up front in case you want to jump ahead and just get to the interview with Leslie, which is totally understandable. But I'm going to tell you this. At the end of the day, who you spend your time with is so important because it can affect the trajectory of your decision-making, your career, at like everything about your life. So if you are a person who kind of has some ambition and you want to accomplish things and you, you've got your mindset about how you're going to do those things, if you spend your time around people that don't have their own version of that, or don't understand what it is you're doing, or doubt what it is you're doing, you're not gonna get any support. And the advice you get is generally gonna be, oh, that's never gonna work, that or that's too hard, or why do you wanna put all the effort into that that's never gonna go anywhere? That's the essence of what I'm talking about. You might know some people in your life who already exist who do that with you. You know, you might uh, have a relative, you might have a, a friend, Somebody who is essentially like the Winnie the Pooh character, Eeyore, who never thinks anything's going to work out and is just always doubting what it is you're talking about and isn't encouraging. Now, I'm not saying people need to blow smoke up your ass and tell you that's brilliant and never tell you the truth. But generally, I find that the people in my life, when I express an idea, when I talk about something that I'm, I'm wanting to do, they rarely say, well, that's never going to work. It's usually, well, here's some considerations. I've had some experience with that. So think about the following or look out for this when you do that, or even just ask you, well, how do you intend on implementing that? What's, what's your strategy there? What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Those are the type of friends and supporters that I tend to spend my time around. I've mentioned the Friday morning mastermind call that I do with a group of friends who are like-minded, who uh, are willing to support and answer my questions and generally be a springboard for which ideas can grow. 
those people will also ask me, hey, two weeks ago, you said you were going to do this. What's what's going on with that? And that's what I'm talking about, you know, and whether you do it in a mastermind call online or you do it in person over coffee or you do it in groups of people, it doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, it's it's those people in your life that you're spending your time with that affect your decision making. It could be the difference between a fantastic idea you have getting completed and great things coming from it to that same great idea getting shot down and being told, oh, well, that's that's so hard. Why would you even put the effort into that? And having you doubt yourself and not accomplish what it is you, you were initially thinking about. So whether it's going to open up a studio or whether it's working on a live, you know, in live sound or Maybe you want to go and, and do sound effects and sell sound effects libraries, whatever it is. Uh, you need to make sure that the people that surround you are encouraging that and challenging you to do the best work you can do instead of trying to prevent you from actually doing the thing it is you want to do. Right. So then it brings up the question, what happens to those people that are doing that and how do you deal with them to just say it brutally you've got to maybe not spend so much time with those people and you know that could come at the cost of you know some friendships and uh relationships that maybe you've had for a long time i don't know maybe you make time for those people and know that that time you spend with them is not going to be discussing uh ideas of moving forward and and, and doing adventurous things that pertain to your career maybe that's a time where you're just a sounding board for them, maybe you try to be that person that brings that positivity to the conversation. Let's just cap it off here. Spend your time around groups of people or organizations where you find like-minded individuals who support what it is you're doing, uh, encourage you, uh, challenge you, uh, get you to answer some hard questions, and uh, at the end of the day, push you forward. Because if the alternative to that is spending your time around people who just want to like talk shit about people all day and talk about how things aren't working and how people owe them and you know they've been at it for a long time and nothing ever works out for them like just that negativity is really hard for me to stomach i have a hard time around people who uh don't want to help themselves and expect everybody to do the work for them so i i can't imagine how all of you deal with it either change the direction change the narrative for yourself spend your time or dedicate more time to those who support your ideas and want to discuss how to move forward uh, for what it is you're doing. There's not much more to that. It's pretty simple. And I always go back to when I first was in my hometown in southern New Mexico and I was fresh out of high school and I was discussing coming out to San Francisco, you know, and told people, yeah, we want to we want to take our band out there and get a record deal and, you know, see about, you know, quote unquote, making it. And there was a surprising number of people who told me, well, that'll never work. I mean, that's a one in a million chance. So, you know, why don't you just stay here and, and do what everybody else is doing? While the whole rock star thing did not work out, I managed to get a couple record deals in my time and have some experiences that ultimately set me on the path that I'm on now as an audio professional. No, I'm not a professional drummer. Uh, but I am a professional audio engineer and essentially found my path. And I had to go through the whole, you know, 
want to be a rock star thing to get to where I'm at. But I never would have got there had I listened to those people that said, ah, that's a one in a million chance. And if I had stayed in my hometown, you know, wouldn't necessarily be such a bad thing. But I'm very happy about where I'm at and uh, look back and think, wow, life would have been very different had you listened to those people. Take that lesson and apply it in your own world. And I hope that uh, wherever you're at, you have some encouragement to accomplish what it is you want to accomplish, whether as an audio pro or not. So that is that. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Evan are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might've met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might've heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Leslie Ann Jones here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Do you feel that in comparison, if you were to look at ABC and Capital and the Automat, and I'm just going to isolate it to those three because we'll get to Skywalker, but 
Were they all, would you see an equal footing from a professionalism standpoint? Or was one like just kind of a little bit above the others in terms of how people ran sessions and did things? Or was that just like standard across the board? Not to say that anybody was unprofessional, but. I think when you're at that level, that there's a standard. Mm. And everybody works at that standard in terms of maintenance, upkeep, in terms of professionalism, Mm -hmm. the type of clients that come in. Yeah, you know, and that's something that I've just kind of carried with me my whole career. Even from some of the engineers that I worked with, the things I learned from them and how they ran their sessions, how prepared they were and all that kind of stuff, that really stuck with me. And that's kind of how all those studios are, where you set up the day before and you want to make sure when you go to bed that night that you know that everything's done and you can walk in in the morning and press record and everything's great. All those studios ran that way. So it's just a different... I don't think anyone was better or worse. They Operated at uh a high level. Yeah. Do you think you could describe, in terms of demeanor, is there a way that people and this obviously I'm sure translates to Skywalker to this day, a way you carry yourself in a session as an engineer when you're working in places that we're talking about? Well, yeah. I mean, it's so different now in terms of attention span, cell phones, all of that. But I would say, yeah, from the time I started at at ABC... All the way until now, you know. I mean, you're just present in the session. You're paying attention. Mm -hmm. You're not calling attention to yourself. I always found humor went a long way to diffuse certain situations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's just a certain, I mean, lab coats aside, there's a certain amount of professionalism people expect from people coming into a studio. And no matter which studio it was, either a record company's paying for it or you're paying for it. And it's one thing to be, you know, in the early days of rap, having a record company pay for it and have the artist not show up. But for the most cases, these dates are expensive. You know, you've got a, a big band or string orchestra or something like that, or even somebody tracking. And you as the assistant have to just be present and always have an ear open. When I was on a session, I always thought like on the next level. So if I was the assistant, I was trying to think like the engineer. I was trying to think what would that person, and I would have to say what would he want because it was always a he, What would he want next? Did a microphone get moved or something like that? Is there, am I making take sheet notes? You know, I would always sort of think one step ahead so I wouldn't have to wait to be asked for something. Is some musician complaining about their headphones? Did somebody forget to put their headphones on? All the millions of things you have to think about as an assistant, I always tried to anticipate what the engineer was. And when I was an engineer, I tried to anticipate what the producer wanted. 
So I would always sort of live in, in both worlds so that I wasn't just so myopic in my own thing that I wasn't paying attention to what was going on out there. I think that that's really true of all those studios. You know, you really kind of have to have that demeanor. And it, it's really difficult now with all the distractions one has. Mm -hmm. And it's much harder now because there's less to do once you get kind of set up and things are rolling. But I, I still find that it's important to kind of think ahead and think like the person who has the, the job above you to be able to anticipate that stuff. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of stress to set up and, and prepare and get everything right. But once everything's tracking and you know everything's working, I think for many, the temptation is to go, oh, okay, well, now we can relax and just sit back and let, let those people out there on the other side of the glass do all the work. But it's yeah. far from that. It is. I mean, even when I'm still just engineering, like particularly on classical dates when I'm working with another classical producer and I'm just engineering, I've got headphones on listening to, you know, if there's any distortion or any noises or anything like that because the producer's paying attention to the performance. Mm -hmm. They're not really paying attention to all the little details of that kind of stuff. So I'm more cognizant of what their job is for them and then what I have to do as the engineer to make sure that people walk out with something that's great. And speaking of recording lots of strings, let's, uh, I wanted to transition into Skywalker and how that came about. You were at Capitol. Mm -hmm. What changed in your role at Capitol that brought you back to the Bay Area? I was tired of working so much. There were times when I would, particularly if somebody on the staff was sick and I had to fill in, there were times when I would be doing two sessions a day. So coming in at eight in the morning and leaving close to midnight, not knowing whether I was going to work on the weekends or not. I, I ended up buying a place in Palm Springs because I would make plans for the weekend and then find out I had to work. Or I all of a sudden the session canceled and, and now I had nothing to do. So I was just tired of putting in all the hours I was putting in and I was looking for something else not really consciously, but I was just kind of getting tired of doing as much work as I was doing. And again, Mix Magazine came to my rescue. Tom Kenny loves it when I tell these stories. And they used to, when they were still publishing a big print magazine, on the inside of the back cover, they always had sort of an interview with somebody. And they did a one-page interview with Gloria Borders, who was running Skywalker Sound. She was vice president and general manager. Gloria was an Academy Award-winning sound effects editor. So I was reading this story about her. I, I, I had always wanted to come back to the Bay Area, but there just wasn't really any opportunity because there weren't any studios other than Fantasy where you could get a staff job. And even at Skywalker, you had to either be hired on a project basis there was a very small staff in the scoring stage, and it just was, wasn't like there were jobs open. So I read this, and she was, I think maybe the question was, what's your next challenge? And she said, bringing the scoring stage up to its potential. Then there was something in there about wanting to hire somebody to manage the scoring stage. And so I thought, well, 
I've certainly worked for enough studio managers that I know what's a good manager and what's a not good manager. So I called a couple of friends that I had at Skywalker just to see if they thought that she was actually thinking about that. And they said, yes. So I, I called and kind of applied for the job. And Susan Leahy, who had been married to Jack Leahy, who owned Russian Hill Studios in that automat era, a very popular recording studio. Susan was working with Gloria at the time. So I met with them, and I was offered the job. They weren't really hiring me as a mixer. They were hiring me to run the scoring stage and to use all the contacts that I had in film and TV to kind of raise the profile of the scoring stage, get more work in, and I think treat it a little more legitimate than it had been, Hmm. you know? So, yeah, it was actually months before I ever sat at the console and made a record. I was just managing the studio and dealing with clients and dealing with the staff, and I had brought up a technical engineer who had worked at Capitol as the tech responsible just for the scoring stage. And then I brought up Dan Thompson, who was an engineer at Capitol, because we really needed somebody who knew all of those different areas of work that you do at Capitol, where you're going from a record to a TV show to a film to a commercial, from an orchestra to... Although we didn't do any classical work when I was at Capitol, from an orchestra to a tracking session. It takes special people to have expertise in all of those areas and understand the different requirements for that. On a tracking date, it's called a bridge, and on an orchestra date, it's called letter C. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, it's just you know, wow. it's a different language. And so, so, yeah, so I brought Dan up, and Dan and I have been working together for, I don't know, 23 years now, and revamped the studio to make it more more modern, put in a different console. At Skywalker, it was a different experience because I think I mentioned at Capitol, I think that people had a low expectation when they came in, Mm -hmm. as if we wouldn't be able to deliver like a regular recording studio would. And at Skywalker, it was completely different. People had a very high expectation. They expected things to be great and perfect, and you couldn't fail. You know, wow. I felt like the expectation was so great that you really kind of had mm. to not only meet that but exceed it, and that has its own challenges as well. It does carry with it a reputation, a cachet of excellence. It's, mm-hmm. and I wonder sometimes. It's like this special institution with this background of Star Wars and George Lucas and the name in itself. And it's out of the the Hollywood area. It's not in L.A., but it's this like North Star up here. And I'm curious why people look at it that way. I mean, obviously, because it's the reputation precedes it, but... I wonder why they would look at Capital any different than they would Skywalker. And as you say, it comes with its own challenges because everybody walks in the door and expects the best, and you cannot go beneath the best. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, these are just my opinions, right? But I always got the sense of capital that because it was a record company-owned studio, it was union, 
Not that there's anything against union. I just retired from the union. But there's a certain expectation around that. Like, oh, I'm going into the place where Frank Sinatra recorded, but this is now the early 90s, and now we have all this technology, and are they going to be still be living in the world of Frank Sinatra and Nat King Cole and an orchestra <laughs> and a record company, or have they invested in the future and running like the record plant or Sunset Sound or Ocean Way or any of these other studios? That was the competition. And eventually, once we changed over Studio A and started doing more film and TV work and a lot of other things, and people couldn't live without capital. They had to come and record at Capitol. And Al Schmidt was doing all of his work there and Phil Ramone and a lot of other greats. And all the GRP stuff with Don Murray and mm. Dave Grusin and Larry Rosen, all that was done there. Marcus Miller. I mean, just fantastic clients. But I think in the beginning, we really had to sort of prove ourselves that we weren't just a record company studio. And I think that that high expectation of Skywalker is well-deserved because of everything that we've done, which a lot of that comes from, from George, you know, his kind of, I guess, wanting to get out of the Hollywood, L.A. film scene and be more of an independent and Skywalker's always had such great talent, mixers and sound effects and sound designers and Foley and all of that. I mean, just a who's who of fantastic people. Gary Rydstrom, Randy Tom, Ben Burt, you know, right. Gary Summers, and now the younger generation, which don't seem to be too young, too young like, like me these days. But, you know, Gary Rizzo, Laura Hirschberg, yeah. just a, a great lineage of people and working on just fantastic films. So... Yeah. Plus, plus, you know, the, the grounds are beautiful. And oh, you, yeah. And you feel like, you know, oh, my God, am I actually going to be able to get any work done here? And yet a lot of my clients feel like they do their best work because of the environment. So I think there is an expectation of coming to Skywalker and having it be great. And it is. But there's some yeah. uh, responsibility that comes with that to make sure that you're fulfilling what the client walks in expecting. It's a bit of a destination. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. Just the drive there is, is a bit of a destination yeah. just from San Francisco. And I wonder if a little bit of that reputation is, is a result, too, of George's other efforts. I mean, you could look at like ILM, Industrial Light and Magic the great work that they do and therefore, oh, that's a George Lucas thing. And then Skywalker is this audio portion. Therefore it must be fantastic as well. I mean, that, this is my perception. And I have to say that that expectation of excellence to me, I've always made it uh, in my brain. It's synonymous with you. It's like Leslie Ann Jones and Skywalker. There's this, this excellence, this expectation of stuff that's just well done. And I don't know how you perceive yourself in that role and where you've come from. And is there a pressure that you feel ever to maintain that reputation? Are you, <laughs> I, I mean, you've got to be aware that you have that reputation. Uh, I suppose I do. <laughs> I'm laughing because occasionally I say, I don't want to be me today. 
<laughs> just want to lay on the couch. I just sometimes it's great being me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't want to be me. Yeah. But one of the things about working at Skywalker is that you feel like you're surrounded by greatness. And it really started with George, although, of course, George doesn't own the company anymore. Disney does. But from the moment I walked in there and you realize the incredible expertise and skill everyone has, and yet getting back to the L.A. comparison of being only as worthy as your next phone call, everyone at Skywalker, I mean, just first of all, wants to be there, wants to learn from everybody. There never feels like there's any competition. Everyone's always so happy for everyone's success. Mm-hmm. And I continue to this day to be humbled by the people working there, the projects that they're working on, everyone's success. You know, we have our own little corner of the building Mm-hmm. We do music. They do movies. Uh, even though we're doing music for movies, all the rest of the production sound for movies is done on the other side of the building. So you know, we have our own little niche, and I know everybody on the other side of the building loves music and is just as enthusiastic about what we're doing. God, you've got a lot of musicians here today. What's going on? You know? <laughs> and, um, so it, I think it makes for, again, to be continually challenged by the greatness that surrounds you. And the fact that when you think about how George started the company, I mean, everything was created to fulfill his vision of his films. And if he wanted sound effects or a particular visual effect, he ended up creating companies to provide that for him. The other thing I think about Skywalker, and I say this quite a lot, we're very much a yes company because George asked for something and people had to figure out how to develop it. And that exists to this day where we are a yes company based on what the client needs, what the company needs. And it's like, well, we'll just figure out how to get it done. No ask is too big. You know, when the pandemic happened, the whole technical staff and the folks that run Skywalker had to figure out how to have people work from home because that was not okay before for security reasons. Now we had all these movies that were in the process and people had to finish them and it was huge, but it had to happen. And we have some of the biggest brains in the world working at Skywalker. So I'm just feel so fortunate that in the last third of my career, that that's where I ended up because it just forces you to continually want to be better and challenge yourself because everybody else in the building is doing that, you know? Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as Check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. 
So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. As an engineer, just from the act of recording and mixing and, and making, whether it's music for a video game soundtrack or a movie or a record, like if you look back at when you first started at Skywalker and you jump ahead to now, are you kind of aware of improvements in your own talent? I don't know. You know, I guess with audio, we we kind of get in the beginning, we're obsessed with like microphones or whatever. We're obsessed with things that are, are the tools and eventually we transcend that and we start to look bigger and, and look at a wider view of what it is we're doing. Do you see that your time at Skywalker is like that? Do you now feel like you have a, a good 30,000 foot view of how to run a session, how to get a score done, how to how to do any of your tasks better or with I don't know, greater wisdom than you did when you first started there? Oh, well, certainly. I had never run a studio before. So I walked into a job that I only knew of from watching other people do their job and seeing how it affected the outcome in the studio with the staff, etc. Mm-hmm. And I was given pretty free reign and was kind of able to transform, as it were, the, the scoring stage into a facility that could do all kinds of music and move back and forth between different things and hmm. all of that. And I guess the other thing was, you know, I was, because of my recording academy affiliations and all of that and people who already kind of knew me in the business, I could go out to different events and things like that and really feel like I was representing Skywalker. So for, I think, some people, I'm somewhat synonymous with Skywalker. I mean, you're you're nodding. I, I try not to think of it that way because mm-hmm. there are, and I think it's just because I'm out in the world. We have so many fantastically talented people that, have won a ton of Oscars and lots of awards and work on fantastic films and are the most sought-after people, but they're not out in the world like I am, so perhaps their names are not necessarily as synonymous with Skywalker as mine is because I'm out there. But it's part of my job, running the studio is marketing it as well. So I think as a result, I've 
for better or for worse, I've become somewhat synonymous with Skywalker. But but you're, I mean, you're a different engineer now than you were. Oh well, when sure. You started. I was a different engineer at the Automat than I was at ABC. I mean, I think that I think as long as you're open to growth mm. and not willing to just get stuck in what you're doing, that you're going to be different. You're going to grow. I also know my limitations. When MIDI first came out, <laughs> you know, I mean, when yeah. MIDI came out was the same time digital stuff was coming out. And I thought, I have to put the brakes on somewhere. I can hire somebody to do MIDI. I don't need to know what this does. It's it's not going to affect my career. Right. And, and so, you know, I had to pick and choose my battles. Same thing with Pro Tools. Because of the kind of work I do, I don't need to know every nuance and in and out of Pro Tools, mm-hmm. you know, because that's not the kind of work that I do, and it's just not necessary. Right. For, you're, for not, you're not obsessed about key commands. And- no, and I'm not an independent engineer who's doing a lot of stuff in their home studio. I still yeah. get to sit in front of a big piece of iron and make records, yeah. you know? Ride faders. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think that growth just comes with the territory. And I continue to challenge myself. I'm producing a lot more classical stuff now. And mm. being a recovering guitar player, I, it's not like I played violin or classical piano or went to the Curtis Institute or anything like that. But clearly, I must bring something else to projects because people call me and want me to work with them. So I challenge myself by learning more about music, by learning more about different composers, and I'm always learning new stuff. I guess I don't let my lack of knowledge get in the way of my growth, and that's the way it's been. The, I think that's brilliant. The whole time. Yeah. Wow. That's a piece of wisdom to walk away with for sure. But see, Matt, I also think that I've benefited from low expectations. You know, hmm. when I first started out, I remember being at the automat. And I was booked to engineer a confunction date. And I think it was Felton Pilot who, it was a hall that came down to get into the control room. And then you walked farther down the hall to get in the studio. And he poked his head around and I'm sitting at the console. And he said, hi, I'm Felton. And I said, hi, I'm Leslie. And he said, who's our engineer? And I said, I am. And, you know, you could tell it was sort of quizzical, puzzled look. I'm, okay. And so, you know, <laughs> and he walks out, the band sets up, and I, I think the minute I got a drum sound, everything was fine. So my career has been kind of predicated by people having low expectations of what I could do because of my gender. Yeah. And then exceeding those expectations. And then I could do nothing wrong, and they had to have me on all their records, you know? Hmm. So part of that is challenging myself as well. Like I said, not letting the lack of knowledge get in my way, not letting the fact that people are already going to have low expectations of what I'm capable of define what my work is going to be. Yeah, and at the same time, nowadays, it's like, when we went for the Bay Area Audio Nerds thing and we were at Meyer Sound and 
everybody's playing stuff and you said, oh, I'm going to, this is this track. Like immediately I was like, well, this is going to be badass. <laughs> you know, I just, my expectation was, oh, let's hear this. I, I, I want to learn something here. Yeah. And I wasn't disappointed either. It's interesting. <laughs> Although n- not exactly the same relatable story as, as yours with guy coming down the hall, but I was engineering at this little studio in Potrero Hill. It was very, very young. It was an acapella session. And basically, it was a bunch of older black men Uh who showed up. And uh, they were like, hey, we're here for the session. I was like, oh, okay, great. And they're like, where's our engineer? And I was like, oh, that's me. And they were like, you? Like, really? And it wasn't until the sound started coming out of the speakers that the trust began. Yeah. And that the bond happened. Yeah. Were they expecting someone older? They were expecting somebody older, yeah. I'm not sure who mm-hmm. or why, but once they heard stuff, they were like, okay, we trust you. Yeah. We can relate now. You could feel it in the room, but it's intimidating mm-hmm. as you know all too well. Do you still sit on the board for Women's Audio Mission? No, I've actually never been on the board, although I'm a big supporter of, mm. of WHAM. I've never been on the board of, okay. of Women's Audience. That's me misreading something. Yeah, no, I'm on the board of Institute for the Musical Arts, which is a wonderful performance and recording camp for girls and young women in Goshen, Massachusetts. And I used to teach recording there every summer for many, many years. Yeah. And uh, I'm on the advisory board for the TAC program at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, the Technology and Applied Composition program. Hmm. I've been studying as a composer for my whole life, and nobody's commissioning my work. What am I going to do with all this knowledge? And Hmm. they learn how to score for video games and how to run Pro Tools and how to do a recording session and kind of be more self-sufficient. You know, Hmm. it's a wonderful program. You are, I think, to many women, kind of like the beacon of like what you can achieve in the world of audio. What is your message to women coming up in audio now? I mean, you were at this so long ago, and, and it certainly has changed tremendously, but still there's a lot of work to be done. What message do you have to young women coming up? Well, you know, it's just, it's a little different now, I think. The world has just changed so much. I don't know this from directly talking to young women about it, but I do know about it from others of my generation talking to young women about they're already expecting to have some resistance to them being in the room Mm. because of their gender. And, you know, you just can't live like that. I just think that you have to go in and be yourself, you know? I also think there's a level of appropriateness that people have to keep in mind in terms of walking in the studio. And that's why I said humor was a big help for me. Somebody would say a swear word and then apologize, and then I would say a swear word back. I mean, just to kind of let them know that, oh, I've heard worse. You know, yeah, I just think it's hard enough in our business, but to go in with the expectation that you're going to be less than is going to make it just harder for you. Either you're going to end up proving that you can do everything, which is not 
really a great way to start out. Or you're just going to just feel bad all the time. And, you know, I could have, when I started at ABC, moved a piano by myself just to prove that I could do it. But I chose instead to ask for help because it wasn't really about proving that I could do it. Oh, look, I'm like the guys. You right. know? I'm not a guy. Right. You know, I'm just me. Yeah. And I think that's really all you can be is just who you are and what you bring to the session and the skill level that you have and mm-hmm. always having an appetite for learning more and find a mentor. Find somebody who's invested in your success because that gives you encouragement. It gives you a sense that you're worth something, mm-hmm. that you're worth investing time in. Don't just walk in thinking like you know it all and you're going to prove something because it doesn't really work that way. I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but I found that regardless of gender, when I see those who are really trying to help themselves and ask for a little bit of assistance, I gravitate towards that as opposed to those that come in. And I, and I mean this from like young people coming in who have a sense of entitlement or, or a sense of... I know it all, or Hmm. like I say, regardless of gender, when I see like, oh, that person's really trying, they could use a helping hand or some guidance, maybe I can help. I gravitate towards that as opposed to the others that are just little (laughs) shits when they come in. You know what? what's funny, and this is not directed at what you just said, but I have found in my career that because, of course, it's still male-oriented, that guys are more than willing to share what they know, even if they're doing it just out of ego rather than the fact that they're really trying to bring you along. I don't care their reasons. All I care is about the information. All I care is that they tell me what it is I'm looking to know. And if they're doing it because of ego, fine. If they're doing it because they're being generous and altruistic, well, that's even better. But <laughs> yeah. I don't really give a shit. Yeah, right. I just want whatever your motivation is, you go for it. As long as I get the answer to my question, as long as I figure out how this works, yeah, and how that can help me. So it's, uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about the R word, retirement. Oh. <laughs> I talk to a lot of people who just, that's not conceivable. They just don't want to even think about it. They're going to work until they don't. What's your perspective Mm. for yourself? What's best for you? Well, I don't want to be that person. One of the, I think, maybe a hallmark is too strong a word of my career is that I've always had a life. And I think, unlike my male counterparts, when I was coming up, who were married and had a a wife who perhaps was not working and raised the kids, and my male counterparts could work seven days a week and 12 hours a day and knew somebody was home to take care of their family and all of that. Mm. I didn't have that, although I've had partners all through my career, but I had to kind of create that life for myself by making sure I had time off and things like that. So I don't really, I don't want the last thing I do in this life to be a recording session. Okay. (laughs) And I also don't, I think at some point, and it has nothing to do with being contemporary, because I've managed to kind of 
bypass that that part of it just by continuing to do the type of work that I'm really good at and I don't have to worry about making beats or any of that stuff. Or working till three in the morning. Or working till three in the morning. So my hope is to not necessarily take everything, Mm -hmm. but just take the things that continue to challenge me. Either the people are really interesting and talented and and the project is something different for me. At this point in my career, there has to be something challenging about it. Yeah. And something worthwhile, because I think the worst thing for me at this point is just to show up, just to show up, hang the usual mic, do things in the usual way, and not be challenged by what's presented to me in Hmm. terms of getting a sound that's appropriate for the project that I'm working on. And, you know, and I've done some pretty challenging things in my career, but I get to work producing an engineer and opera recording in February. So that'll be something new. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. So we're just about done, but I wanted to ask, you know, you've worked at a high level for a long time. So when you're brought into situations that might be a little less than a high level, we'll say studios that are less than high level. Do you ever find yourself like, oh man, I'm too old for this. I've been at this too long. I don't need this shit. Showing up to maybe a studio that just doesn't have their shit together or a staff that is not attentive. And does that happen to you now? Yeah, it happened to me earlier this year, actually, where I was asked to go out of town to work with an artist who I wanted to do a project with for a long time, and it just ended up being extremely challenging because of the environment Hmm. and because I like to work a certain way, Mm -hmm. and not everybody's used to working that way anymore. And because I had planned to ship out a bunch of equipment myself, microphones and preamps and things like that, and because of some confusion with how it was shipped, it didn't arrive until the day I was done. So um, that was challenging. And mostly, you know, I do feel like, oh, geez, I hate putting up with this shit. I've been doing this for, for too long. I don't feel that as much as I feel that I can't deliver for my client. Hmm. That's the thing that is really the worst thing for me Yeah, is to know that the session is not proceeding the way it would if we were someplace else. Not even Skywalker, but someplace else where people know what they're doing and their session runs a certain way. And yeah, I feel, I think, worse for the artist because I feel when they leave, they're not leaving with my best work. Not in terms of the sounds or anything like that, but files not being right and things not being named properly and all that. And they're basically left with a mess. And I'm not going to do the post-production. So I'm not the one that's going to have to put that together and figure it out and mix it and and all of that. So for me, it's, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll bring Dan with me just because it's just easier for me. Because you know it'll be done right. Because, I, first of all, I know it'll be done right. Second of all, I can just do what I do and try and really concentrate on doing the best job that I can and know that all the rest of the stuff is going to get taken care of. So, yeah. On the other hand, I just did a session at the 
Eastwood stage at Warner Brothers for this Mancini Centennial project. And I rarely get asked to go back to L.A. and do a project with a big orchestra. And that's a facility where everybody on the staff knows exactly what they're doing. So, yeah, you know, you, you, get, you get both ways of, yeah. of uh, doing it. And that was a, a very fun project. Gustavo Dudamel was conducting. I would have never expected to be in the same room with someone like him. So wow. there you go. You know, things still are a surprise, no matter how long you've been doing this. And my last, last question to you is, outside of the world of audio, what is it you love doing? What, what is your passion? <laughs> Hobbies, obsessions? Mm. Well, I love to travel. I love to ne- learn new things. I think this country would be in better shape if people traveled more and went to places where they learned some history mm-hmm. and had some empathy for people in other countries. Uh, I bought an RV this year, and uh, we've only gone on a couple of trips. My partner is not so convinced that she really likes RVing. <laughs> so uh, uh, that, that's, that, that's my own personal challenge right now because yeah. I have friends that love RVing. And I, for me, it's a, just a, a great way to, to see the world. So, uh, yeah, I'm working on that. It's kind of nice not to have an audio challenge, but. Yeah, I, I'm only laughing because my wife and I have rented an RV one time, and I was like, oh, my God, never again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot different renting it than it is having it. And oh. uh, there I am reading manuals and learning a bunch of systems I know nothing about and looking at YouTube videos. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing all the same stuff I did wow. when I started engineering. And I, I totally agree with you on the travel and state of the country and some of my listeners who are younger are going to think I sound old, but I love watching Rick Steves and and that philosophy he talks about as well Yeah, of travel does something to a person that really educates them about the world and their place in this world. And there's something special about it. It is. But again, you have to be open to it. Yeah, You have to want to kind of, you know, eyes wide open going into a situation and learning what you want, you know, without any preconceived ideas about it. Yeah, I love that. And it informs my work. I mean, you know, I think anything like that, that informs you and your place in the world and how you fit in, informs you and how you relate to your clients Mm -hmm. and their experiences. Mm -hmm. Because I work with clients that have a lot of money, I work with clients that have mortgaged their house to have a, a recording session. And they're not the same, but you treat them the same, you know? You have to have the same level of interest, the same desire for the outcome. And traveling, I think, has a lot to do with seeing the world that way. Wow. Well, on that note, I want to say thank you so much for sitting down for such a, an extended period of time here. And oh, it's been great. I've been very comfortable. I'm in my own house. And, I know. We're, you know? We're, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. You're welcome, Matt. Thank, right. thank you. 
Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Leslie Ann Jones here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. If you have a chance, I would appreciate you heading over to your podcast aggregator and leaving a five-star review, letting people know that you do enjoy this show. That would be greatly appreciated. But that's all for me today. I want to thank my crew, including Anne-Marie Plow in the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and the wonderful voice of Mr. Chuck Smith there at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn or feel free to send me an email, matt at workingclassaudio.com. Until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. (laughs) 